Hi everyone. Please keep your Bibles open there in Romans 1, as well as uh, your handout, which will have a bit of where we're going. Happy Mother's Day. I uh, hope you've enjoyed your day and got to celebrate your mum a bit. And um, just to just let you know, we didn't choose this passage for Mother's Day. Uh, it's just where we're up to in the book of Romans. Uh, and it's a weighty part of God's word, isn't it? I wonder if you felt that as we read it out just now. Uh, so I should say now, it's a weighty part of God's word. We can't say everything that could be said about these words tonight. Uh, so after the service, uh, in, in your gospel team, your small group during the week, uh, keep discussing these things, asking your questions, wrestling with God's word, and get in touch with our ministry team if uh, it raises things for you you want to talk about and pray about. We've prayed a bunch already, but let's just pray briefly now as we uh, come to think hard on these words. My gracious Father, we pray that you would turn our hearts to you and you would turn our hearts to your Son, the Lord Jesus, as we read your word now. Uh, be at work in us by your Spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Down the road from our house, uh, there's this really beautiful park. Uh, we often take the kids down there and uh, sometimes I walk around the park myself uh, and it looks down into the Bardwell Valley. It's really beautiful. And it's actually on the golf course. So there's just this beautiful, spacious, green view that you can enjoy. Uh, when we moved in there, we, we like, saw the park and we were like, oh, that's a really nice park. But we didn't realize that if you walk around the edge of the park, all of a sudden you turn a corner and this is your view. So that's very nice. But let me just zoom in a little bit more. Do you see what you can see? You can see the entire city of Sydney just laid out before you on the horizon. And I was just floored the first time that I walked around the park, and this is the view around the corner of my house. How wonderful. Uh, now I see it all the time, and it's still great, don't get me wrong. Uh, but I wonder, I wonder, what do you see when you look at that view? Imagine you're on a walk and you see the city of Sydney like that, laid out before you. What do you think? What are the thoughts that come in to your mind? How does it make you feel? Have a think and hold on to those ideas because we're going to come back to that later on. Uh, for now, we're going to look at Romans. Now that I've transported you to this beautiful park down the road from my house, we're going to come back to the book of Romans. Uh, let's just remember where we've been in the last few weeks of Romans before we get into our passage for tonight. So, do you remember what we've seen in Romans so far? Do you remember Paul? He is eager to get to Rome. He's eager to see the Roman Christians and to preach the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Why? Remember those wonderful words in verse 16 and 17. Look there now. These summary words of the whole book of Romans. Paul is eager to preach the gospel for or because it is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes. It's God's power and in the gospel, God's righteousness is revealed from faith to faith. That is, God gives the gift of his righteousness to those who believe, to those who have faith in his Son. The gospel is good news because God justifies us. Because of Jesus, he declares us to be righteous when we trust in him, free from guilt, innocent of sin. This is the wonderful news that Paul is eager to share with the Romans. But then in our passage today, did you realize, Paul goes on to say something that we might 
not expect. After sharing the wonderful news that God has revealed his righteousness, what what does Paul say in verse 18? Look there, straight away he says, For God's wrath is revealed. God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people. Hang on, Paul. Didn't you just say that God's gift of righteousness is revealed? I thought you had good news to tell us. God's wrath is not good news, is it? God's rightful anger at our sin and the judgment upon us, that's the opposite of good news. Are you trying to confuse us, Paul? Well, no, he's not trying to confuse us by telling us. Sorry, he's not trying to confuse us. What he's doing is showing us the bad news first. So what he's doing over this passage and over the next few chapters, he tries to show us exactly why God's righteousness is revealed. Why does God's gift of righteousness need to be revealed? Why do we need saving? Why is the gospel necessary? Why did Jesus have to come? Why did he have to die? The answer is because God's wrath is revealed. His right and righteous anger, his divine displeasure, his hatred of sin and evil, his uh, the punishment that he then pours out on that sin. That's God's wrath. He's saying the gospel, the good news exists because there's bad news first. Before I tell you about the good news, Paul says, I need to tell you about God's wrath. And just to show how bad the bad news is and just how much we need the good news, he tells us the story, what I like to call the story of humanity. The story of humanity as a whole, apart from God. And it's not an easy story to hear. It's one of the saddest passages in all the scriptures. Because it's a story of evil. It's a story of why and how God's wrath is revealed. Here it is in God's word, and so we need to hear it. We need to wrestle with it. So Paul says the story of humanity is that God's righteousness is revealed because his wrath is revealed. But why? Why is God's wrath revealed? Why is God angry? What reason does Paul give? What have humans done to deserve that wrath of God? Paul shows us it's about the sin of idolatry. Let's get into the meat of the passage. Read with me from verse 18. He says, For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Since what can be known about God is evident among them, because God has shown it to them. So why is God's wrath revealed? God's wrath is revealed because he's shown himself to humanity. He's made himself known. His truth is evident But what has humanity done with that truth, with that knowledge? They've suppressed it. Humanity suppresses the truth of God, Paul says. How does that work? How has God revealed himself? And then how does humanity then suppress that revelation, that truth? Well, Paul shows us exactly how it works. Look at verse 20. Paul says, For he is God's invisible attributes... That is, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. Paul is saying what we've just read before 
in Psalm 19. He's saying God reveals himself, something of himself, through the creation that he has made. So when we look at the world that God has made, when we see the sky and the sun and the moon and the stars, and when we see the trees and the fields and the mountains mountains and the seas, when we see the creatures and the animals and the people uh, God has made, well, then we should see clearly God's invisible attributes. We should see and look and know that there is a God and we should see his eternal power and his divine glory and nature. God reveals something of his power and glory and majesty through these things that he has made. So God reveals the truth of himself, but humanity, what do they do? They suppress that truth. How does that work? Paul shows us in verse 21. For, for though they knew God, he, he revealed himself in creation, although humanity knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show him gratitude. Instead, their thinking became nonsense, nonsense and their senseless minds were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. This is the heart of sin. This is what Paul is showing us. The heart of sin is to not glorify the glorious God. It's, it's not to thank the maker and giver of all things. And it's instead to give that glory and that thanks and that worship to something else, to something created instead of the Creator. This is Paul showing us, this is the origin of pagan idolatry, the origin of man-made religion. See, what have humans across all times and all places done? Well, they've looked at the world around them and they've concluded that there is a God or they must be gods and then they've made them up. And then they've carved them into wood and stone, made images and temples to them. They've come up with Baal, and they've come up with Zeus, and, and Shiva, and Allah, and, and thousands and thousands of gods who are not the one true God. And some have said, well, there's no God, or there's no spirit world, there's only what's physical, and yet they still make an idol out of the things of this world. They still worship themselves, or science, or humanity, or something that they experience. See, humanity as a whole has done and still does what verse 25 says. Look there. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served something created instead of the Creator who is praised forever. Amen. That's what makes this passage so sad. Humanity has committed this great injustice. God is not rightly glorified. The one who is praised forever is not praised by humanity. Left to our own devices, we, we don't thank God. We, we don't glorify him for what he has made. We don't worship and serve him. The greatest being, that it, this thing about this, the greatest being who has ever existed, God, full of goodness and power and justice and love, is cast aside. And he's traded for things that are not powerful or just or loving or good. Creator is swapped for the creation. God is not glorified. 
is ignored and replaced. Through Paul, God is showing us just how awful and just how ridiculous this is. And it is ridiculous when you you take the time to think about it. Uh, Think about it like this, if you like. Uh, Imagine you go to a restaurant and you order a delicious meal. Let's just say that you go to Ken's Sushi up at Bexley North. Huey Huey loves Ken's Sushi. Yes, I have a few friends. Yep, I see you over there. That's good. Uh, Yeah, so imagine you sit down at Ken's Sushi for a delicious meal and you put in your order and you, you eagerly wait for it. And when the time comes, it comes out and it's, it's steaming and it just smells beautiful. And so what do you do? Well, you get into it. You take your, not fork, chopsticks, and you get into it, eating every little... I'm actually a little bit hungry right now. <laughs> um, you eat every little morsel and you enjoy every piece. And when you finish and you're full and you're glad, that there's just a little bit left on your plate. And then, instead of getting up and, and you're going to the kitchen and thanking the chef for the meal prepared for you, Instead, you, you kind of just lean over to your plate and you say, thank you, sushi. <laughs> or, you, you know, imagine then you, you go, instead of paying the waiter, you know, instead of getting out your card or your phone or your cash and giving it to the waiter, instead you kind of just smush it into the food that's left on your plate and, and you pay the food your money for the meal. That's ridiculous, isn't it? Shouldn't you give your thanks and your money to the chef, to the waiters, to the ones who prepared, to the ones who served you the meal. That's, that's ridiculous to do the opposite, not to pay the meal. Uh, unfortunately, though, it's not ridiculous because that's what humanity does to God. It's the story of humanity. It's what you and I and every person has ever, who has ever lived has done. We've paid homage to our meal instead of the chef. We've, we've given glory to created things rather than the one who created them, our creator. And so what does this mean for humanity? Look at the end of verse 20. As a result, people are without excuse. That's the scariest verse there. People are under God's wrath. Humanity has exchanged God for lies, and so they deserve his righteous judgment. There's no way out. This is really important, actually, this part, because some people misinterpret Paul here. Paul is not saying here, it's important to know this, Paul is not saying that if you look at the sun and the stars and the mountains and the trees, that that can save us. That if someone who's never heard of the God of the Bible looked at creation and then cried out to whatever God was there and then God would say, oh yeah, okay, I'll save you, he's actually saying the opposite of that. Paul is saying God has revealed enough of himself through his creation that no one can make the excuse, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what I was doing when I worshipped those idols, when I suppressed the truth. Humanity as a whole has seen God reveal himself in his creation, but has ignored him and made their own gods. And so no one is excused from God's wrath. Looking at the sun and stars and the mountains, the sea, it actually condemns us because we don't glorify God as a result. We make idols instead. Think about this. We need God to speak to save us. That was in Psalm 19 as well. 
We need the word of God. We need the gospel to break through our spiritual blindness and to show us that we are suppressing the truth and to pull us out of it. The story of humanity is that on our own, God's wrath is revealed. On our sin of idolatry, there is no excuse. And that's why God's wrath is revealed. Did you notice, Paul, at at this point, he hasn't said anything about how God's wrath is revealed. He hasn't shown us what it looks like yet, but now he does in the second part of our passage. And again, it's it's surprising and confronting. God shows us, Paul shows us, uh, that God's wrath is revealed. Sorry, God's wrath is the punishment of depravity. Now, I've realized that this heading could actually be a little bit misleading, so let me try and explain it for you. Uh, This passage, this part of the passage is not saying, is not about God punishing all the depravity of humanity. It's not about God punishing people for all their different ways of sinning against him. Other parts of scripture talk about that. Other parts of Romans say that. Not here. No, instead, Paul talks about God punishing humanity with depravity. See, God's wrath is shown throughout history and even today how in letting, in allowing humanity to be evil and to be depraved. So have a look at how Paul puts it in a few verses. Look at verse 24. He says, Therefore, that is, because people suppress the truth and turn to idolatry, God delivered them over in the cravings of their hearts to sexual impurity. And then look at verse 26. This is why God delivered them over to degrading passions. And verse 28, because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a worthless mind and to do what is morally wrong. Do you see what's happening here? See, Paul is saying, Paul is sorry, Paul is not saying that God's wrath is sickness, suffering, or death. Can God judge people with sickness, suffering, or death? Yes, if he wants to, when he decides to. But that's not what Paul is talking about. What wrath, what judgment does God deliver humanity over to in these verses? Craving sexual impurity, degrading passions, and worthless minds to do what we should not do. God delivers people over to their sin. God lets people sin. He hands them over to their whole sinful way of life. He lets their evil desires run wild and their actions overcome them, living in all the ways that God has not designed. This is like uh, maybe, it's like the dad, and this is maybe like the dad of a previous generation, but just stay with me. This is like the dad who finds his son smoking a cigarette. And so what is, what is the punishment for smoking a cigarette? You have to smoke the whole pack, son. And so one by one, the boy puffs all these cigarettes, feeling sicker and sicker until they're all gone, and he's left feeling horrible and full of regret. We sin by worshipping idols, and so God lets us live the full life of sin. He lets us smoke the whole pack. Instead of living the life of joyful, a life of honouring God, we disregard God's good way and then... He lets us live however we want. We suffer all the painful consequences of sin. That is his wrath. That is him delivering us over. That is the story of humanity. We rebel against God and he allows us to suffer in sin and depravity. 
Yes, at times God will strike down a sinner. We saw that a few weeks ago in the book of Acts with Ananias and Sapphira. Yes, Jesus will return one day and will bring the final day of wrath and will bring the final judgment of hell. But one way God works now in judgment is to hand people over to their sin and all the distorted thinking and corrupted living that we can muster. Then Paul, he then gives us two examples of this. And again, they're, they're confronting. First, Paul speaks about the hard topic of sexual impurity. So Paul shows us in verse 24, look there, that God hands humanity over to the cravings of their hearts to sexual impurity so that their bodies were degraded. Paul says that pursuing and seeking sexual arousal and pleasure, engaging in thoughts and in actions for sexual arousal and pleasure outside of a one-man, one-woman marriage, uh, if you're doing those things with someone or something that is not your spouse, then that is sexual impurity. And it degrades and it dishonors our bodies. It's a distortion of God's good design. Paul goes on, goes, goes on to, to a pointed example of this in homosexual sin. And people try to work around these verses. Uh, you should know that. You know, you'll come across all kinds of uh, arguments against. Um, but if we just look at verse 26 and 27 now, we can see what the scriptures clearly say about homosexual sex. Verse 26, he says, it's degrading. He says it's unnatural. Okay? That is, it's not according to God's design and intention. It's, it's universal. He says both female homosexual sex and, verse 27, male homosexual sex is included. There doesn't seem to be any room, any form of homosexual intimacy that is good with God. And then it says uh, that it's shameful, verse 27. It's an error that those who engage in it receive the due penalty which I think is the degrading and dishonoring of their bodies, which Paul has just already spoken about. Their bodies are defiled by their actions. They're hard words, aren't they? They're not popular in our world today, but here they are, and we have to take them as true words. And I want to say, if any of that, sexual sin of any kind, is a struggle for you, first, welcome to the club. See, who of us is not guilty before God when it comes to sex and lust? That's actually the point Paul's making. When it comes to sex, humanity as a whole is distorted. We desire and we seek and we do things that are not God's will or design for sex. But Paul says elsewhere, and this is, this is your struggle, this is what you need to hear, if Paul says elsewhere that if you have come to Christ, if you have come to Christ, that is what you were, it's not who God has washed you clean to be. And so like any other sin, what do you do? You take it to the Lord in prayer. You seek his forgiveness and grace, one for you at the cross. Jesus laid down his life for this sin. And then what do you do? You flee sexual immorality. You run from it with the Spirit's help. And I should say that, that it's often difficult, near impossible, to deal with, to escape from, to deal through all the struggles of sexual sin, and to do that alone. So brothers, ask a brother for help and prayer, and sisters, ask a sister, sister in Christ, for help and prayer. And if you want more resources, if you want more help, if 
you want to think through these things or answer questions, then please get in touch. If, you want to, if you're distressed by any of this, you can talk to me, you can talk to Avril, you can talk to any of our ministry team. We regularly speak and pray with people about these things. But remember Paul's point. God's wrath is revealed against humanity by handing them over to all their distorted desires. Sexual impurity as one example. But it's not as if Paul is only focused on the sexual side of things. Because what the second example he shows us is, is in verse 28. So look there. Paul says, And because they, humanity, did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a worthless mind to do what is morally wrong. And if you just look over the next few verses, what do you see? You see the many and varied ways that humanity has devised to sin. Unrighteousness, evil, greed and wickedness, envy, murder, quarrels, deceit and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving and unmerciful. If I... If some of those sins didn't seem like they caught us, then lots of those in that list do, don't they? But this is the story of humanity. We, we have plunged ourselves into all kinds of sin, and God has allowed it in the world as part of the punishment for turning away from him, for exchanging his truth for a lie. This is, this is just the world that we live in. It's the air that we breathe. It's the humanity that we are a part of. And all you have to do is flick on the news, or walk down the street, or talk to another human being to see it. What do we do with that? That's our passage for today. It's all bad news. And it's not until chapter 3 that we get any good news from Romans. We will get there. But what's our response here to these words, the story of humanity? Here's some final thoughts and encouragement. Number one, I may have just messed up. No, I worked it out. Here we go. Number one, never forget the story of humanity. Never forget that this is the world that we live in, that this is the humanity we are a part of, that God's wrath is revealed against all unrighteousness as God hands people over to their sin and depravity. At the beginning, I showed you this picture, and I asked you, what do you think of? What do you feel when you see Sydney laid out like that before you? I'll tell you what I think. I think, wow, that's really beautiful. I love living in Sydney. There's good food like Ken Sushi down the road. It's fantastic. I love it, and I'm glad, and I thank God. That's not all I think, because I also think there's a city of great idolatry, and great pride, and great sin. And I think there's a place with millions of people who suppress the truth of God and who exchange it for lies. And I see a place where the Creator is not acknowledged or thanked or glorified or worshipped. A place where God's wrath has to be revealed. A place where senseless minds go about corruption and sin every day and every hour. See, my walks in the park, they're a mix of joy and sorrow because every time I go, I see the city of Sydney in all its lostness. And yes, God blesses us with countless good things in this world, in this life, but remember, the world is not as lovely or nice or pretty as people make it out to be. 
or as we're tempted to believe it is, this fallen world is awful. And we live amongst this sinful humanity that we are a part of. Never forget that story, because if you do, if you forget that, you will forget God, and you will just join the story of humanity. You will worship idols and plunge into sin and God's wrath. And never forget this story, because if you remember it, you will always hold on to the only way out. This leads us to our second response. What is the only way out of the story of humanity? It's the gospel. The only way out is to hear the good news of Jesus and do the opposite of what Romans 1 is saying. This is what we've seen and we will see in Romans. Think about it. It's to hear the good news of Jesus concerning the Son of God, Jesus our Lord. It's to hear the gospel, God's power for salvation, to pull people out of the story of humanity, to give salvation to everyone who believes. It's to hear the gospel of God's righteousness revealed on sinful idolaters like us, to those who respond with faith. It makes me think of the other passage in the New Testament where uh, this is what happened. Paul preached the gospel and the opposite of Romans 1 happened. Uh, Have a look at it. Romans chapter 1 says uh, people exchanged the truth of God for idols. Look at 1 Thessalonians 1 on the screen. Paul preached the gospel to them. Jesus was made clear to them. What did they do? You turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. The gospel reverses the story of humanity. It breaks into our dark world and pulls us out of it. So hold on to the gospel. Keep trusting Jesus. He's the only way out. So remember this story. Hold on to the way out. And three, plead with others to do the same. Isn't this why Paul is not ashamed of the gospel It is God's power to save sinners, idolaters like you and me. It's God's power to change the story of humanity from idolatry, suppressing the truth, depravity, to salvation and righteousness and glory. If this is the story of humanity, God's wrath revealed, then tell the story of God's solution, God's gift of righteousness given to those with faith. Don't these words, this story of humanity, give us all the motivation we need to go out and share that good news, the good news of of God's gospel of grace with our world in desperate need. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, with these weighty words, we come before you with heavy hearts, knowing that we are the problem, knowing that we are part of the humanity that turns against you and worships things created instead of you. Father, we know that we deserve your wrath, but that you are kind and generous and good. And we thank you for the salvation that you have brought us in Jesus. Help us always to remember the sinful world we live in, to hold on to your gospel as the way out, and to plead with anyone and everyone to trust in Jesus and do the same. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.